Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello Big Interview listeners, I'm producer Chris Tate and this is the Big Inside View with Graham Hunter. He's making his way towards a microphone with all the intensity of Gigi Buffon approaching an English referee, ready to give you his views and invaluable insight into a week of incredible Champions League football. In this episode, Graham will take you through Barcelona's catastrophic collapse in Rome in the second leg of their quarterfinal, as well as all the drama in the Bernabeu as Cristiano Ronaldo put Real Madrid into the last four. But before we get to that, I'd like to tell you newer listeners that there are over 50 big interview podcasts on our archive. You can find them on iTunes, Acast or wherever you're listening to me now. Also, you can support this independent podcast and get ad-free content, including a new and exclusive big interview every month at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. This month, that exclusive big interview will feature Troy Deeney as you've never heard him before. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter for £2.99 a month to unlock our existing content and special episodes like this one, while your support will also help to make sure that The Big Interview can continue to produce the content you love. Anyway, here's Graham to talk you through what happened in Rome on Tuesday night, starting with a little history lesson. Some of you won't know who Jose Ramon Alexanco is. Well, he was Barca's captain and a late substitute on at Wembley in 1992 when they raised the European Cup for the first time. He also went on to become an influential guy in their youth development, particularly in the era when Johan Cruyff was reintroduced to the club as, as a guru, as a guide, first for Jackie Pekerstein, then Frank Reichardt, and eventually Pep Guardiola. So Alex Sanko, as a player, as a leader, a trophy winner, and then as somebody who guided the way in which football bassi often mistakenly called La Masia, uh, developed talents at Football Club Barcelona. Alexanko's an important guy. So it was interesting to me on Tuesday night of this really extraordinary, fun Champions League week. It was fascinating for me to listen to him saying, that's the beauty of Europe. That's the beauty of the Champions League. He'd been um, in Rome watching one of the clubs that's most dear to him. He's a Basque. He's worked recently at Valencia. He's a guy who is identified with Barcelona because the greatest moments in his career, both in terms of playing and development, came around the camp now. But rather than be brokenhearted, he was saluting the majesty of what Roma did to football club Barcelona. I think that, you know, we don't hide anything from each other in in these big inside views. And I, I will not for one second try and pretend that I didn't believe that one way or another Barcelona were going to go through. I did think... And I thought it was clear that in the first leg, Roma did a little bit of what Chelsea did. They came away with a three-goal defeat from the camp now in a match where they should have been given more reward for the intelligence and athleticism of their play. The evidence of the Chelsea game was that at Stamford Bridge and at the camp now, uh, Antonio Conte's team, as he firmly expressed it later, 
did much more than the scoreline suggested. Not only hitting the woodwork um, at the camp now, but creating and creating enough chances to show gaps in uh, football club bus owners' structure, which largely on the night, Dembele and Messi and Suarez covered up the cracks. Let's put it like that. Roma, well, I really love the way in which they, they didn't take 4-1 as being definitive. They, they, their coach, Eusebio de Francesco, understood exactly what is kryptonite to this Barca era where they don't control the ball to the same extent as they did, let's say, in, in parts of the Reichard era, but throughout the, the Guardiola era. When you don't suddenly have <laughs> Deco at his best or Ronaldinho at his best or Puyol at his best or Xavi at his best or Eric Abidal at his best or Dani Alves at his best or even Iniesta at his best, things change. Let's face that fact. Um, no matter how you replace players like that, it's probably going to take a generation and planning and a lot for you to match that quality of group of footballers. And Barcelona haven't done that. So Di Francesco knew very clearly that the kryptonite for teams that want to play the way that Barca do is outrun them, outjoust them, press them, say to them, is this the day when you do what you do regularly and accept the pressure in your face, biting and snarling and pressing and harassing, and you pass your way out of trouble? Or is this the day when a combination of uh, mental and physical and emotional exhaustion means that you you can't cope, that you doubt yourself, that the passes go astray, that errors are introduced? And it was. It was that night, just like it had been in Paris a year and a bit earlier when they lost 4-0, just like it had been a year earlier in Turin when Juventus pumped them 3-0 and could have been more if they didn't take their foot off the gas. There were hints of all this, as I say, in the Chelsea matches and in the first leg against Roma and, and Di Francesco. His tactics were brilliant. It was, it was as if every single man in that Roma team was in some kind of invisible harness so that if the one guy who was pressing the ball moved, every other single player moved in time and in the right way with perfect coordination. Unless you only want to see creative beauty in football, and that's not my view, then... Um, that was a thing of beauty. More Jekyll, although he was allowed to rampage, kryptonite is the word I choose about Jekyll's centre-forward play because Barcelona, the modern Barcelona, have never particularly enjoyed playing up against a ball-holding, tall, quick centre-forward when they're not controlling the ball. If they're controlling the ball, the centre-forward doesn't get to play like Jekyll did. But as as much as Piquet tried to do to cope with, with Dzeko, the fact that there was freedom for Roma to play the ball to Dzeko, that they weren't pressed, that they, were quite, they weren't too proud to lob the ball to him regularly, then all of that meant that it, it was a nightmare for Piquet and Umtiti in particular, who didn't have a great game in Rome. So all I'm really trying to say is that I absolutely thoroughly admire Roma for seeing the problems, seeing the gaps that were available in their opponents and then doing everything right to exploit those gaps. Barcelona, for their part, it's funny when you watch a team that can entertain us so much looking like ghostly presences, looking unsure suddenly, abandoning their principles when they're pressed, lobbing the ball forward, giving it away, having it thrown back in their faces again and again and again. It was like there was, they'd had an intelligence transfusion. And that only happens to great players like Piquet, like Stegen, like Umtiti, like Alba, like, like Rakitic, 
like Iniesta, like Busquets, we'll come back to them, when they're exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And therefore, we, we've seen examples of a Barca side in the modern era looking as if they're, they're reaching for that gear stick to say, we have to get out first. And then not being able to and not understanding why. We saw it in 2007, 2008 from Barcelona under Reichardt when standards dropped, when there was complacency around the training ground, when dietary regimes weren't very good, when some players' social lives were too enthusiastic. That's not the case here. Believe me, on my honour, that's not the case here. What happened is that a core group of players were overused by Valverde um, for two reasons and overused to the extent that they they had no reserves, they had no extra gas to do what Real Madrid perpetually do, which is remain competitive. Whether they are in control, or whether they are beautiful, whether they're creating lots of chances, what they routinely do is stay in ties. And Barcelona increasingly, not routinely, but increasingly, don't have the ability to do that because they're constructed with a different idea that they try to play a different kind of football. Beautiful when it is harmonious, vulnerable when it's not. And that is in no way a criticism of Real Madrid, who I'm going to go on to, to praise later in this big inside view. My point is that when Valverde found a solution to the fact that Busquets is not athletically quick, his, his brain is lightning, but athletically he's not quick. And Iniesta is about to touch 34 in May. And he looked at those two and said, I want as much out of them as possible this season. I want their brilliance. I want their intelligence. I want their control. I want their experience. His, his remedy was to play four men in midfield, plus augmentation from wing backs and Messi dropping in so that sometimes there would be six or even seven men in midfield. It's worked brilliantly for Football Club Barcelona, but it meant that increasingly Valverde had touchstone players that he didn't want to do without. Whenever he could possibly have uh, Suarez and Messi up front instead of Alcacer, um, only grudgingly beginning to use Dembele, not having Rafinha to play auxiliary left wing anymore, not trusting Vidal to play auxiliary right wing anymore in a 4-3-3. In midfield, using Paulinho, despite the fact that he's played non-stop football without a break of any kind, just, just value that, without a break of any kind, no summer off-season since January 2017. He's got 80 consecutive games under his belt across that time for club and country. I think it's really vital to comprehend that the reason that Valverde went for the system he did, 4-4-2, was that he didn't have the resources to adequately play 4-3-3. Didn't. If he'd tried that, they wouldn't have been going into Tuesday night's match with a chance at the treble. So it was a needs-must system. Beyond that, he became conservative because the overriding priority at Football Club Barcelona amongst the players, the executives and Valverde was to win the league back from Real Madrid. Because it's for one reason or another, and it's not one that I, I fully understand or back, it is imperative for this Barcelona era that they're Spanish champions. They value that a little bit more than the Champions League. I find that strange, but it's a truth. I find it less strange that the group of players who are proud, tough, uh, street-fighting, hard-nosed pros didn't like being mocked by Madrid or Madrid fans, didn't like losing the title that they win so regularly, and they set out to win it back. For that reason, Valverde became conservative in team rotation, 
underused people like Gomez, warts and all, underused Paco Alcacer, underused Alex Vidal, again, warts and all. In recent weeks, while he's been fit, probably underused Thomas Vermaelen as MTT has gone through a loss of form and attention associated, I think, with his contract dispute or his contract problems and the transfer stories. Um, Vermaelen, I, I wasn't sure about in, in late winter, about whether he still had the the pace to be able to use his unquestioned skills on the ball, but he proved that he did. Vermaelen should have played more, such that week in, week out, Valverde consistently reached for the same players to the point that they reached Rome exhausted. Now, the people who take advantage of this defeat and the nature of this defeat to suggest that he might not get another year, that's moronic. A moronic argument. If you look at the way in which this club has been football planned, then compare the sort of first six reserve players at Football Club Barcelona to Madrid. Isco, Asensio, Kovacic, Lucas, Vallejo, Nacho, Borja, Llorente. The comparison is very bad. Madrid's next six players after the first 11 are chosen are exceptional and exceptionally ahead of Barcelona's. That's not Valverde's fault. I think it's the fault of the club that, you know, when Coutinho is bought for an outrageous sum, he's ineligible for the Champions League. Where was the planning? Where was the force? Is he the right player to buy at mid-season? if you want to complete a treble. Dembele cost another outrageous price. Is raw, is talented, may well make himself a very special player at the camp now. Let's wait and see, but might. But he should have been bought over a year previously when he's leaving Rennes for Borussia Dortmund. They have talks with him. Don't complete the signing for 15 million euros and instead a year later have to spend over 100 million euros for a guy who at 20 is still raw, doesn't learn Spanish very quickly, takes time to settle, gets injured twice. The, the list goes on. Valverde, as such, is not the problem. And you'll forgive me for going back to a theme. Before I do, let, let's also look at Roma. They lost at home to Fiorentina at the weekend, were able to rest some players. They've lost seven times domestically this season and they're 21 points adrift of the leader. But they were much, much more full of energy. Barcelona bust themselves in this pyrrhic and short-sighted desperation to win the Copa del Rey every year, which is a less important, less lucrative tournament than the Champions League. And that was, I think, one of the key mistakes, either by the squad in persuading Valverde that they must start, that the the best team must always start, or Valverde in, in putting the slog of 13 games in 34 days in January and February ahead of what was coming in Easter, which was a chance to win the Champions League. Now, would it have been acceptable for Barcelona to be in Roma's position, 21 points adrift in the league? I don't think so. So we're comparing apples and oranges and Barcelona didn't prepare themselves for the fact that they would come up against rivals who were not title challengers. Of the four semi-finalists, only Bayern Munich are going to win their league. Real Madrid, Liverpool and Roma are out of contention already. And that counts. You can rotate differently or maybe you've, you're out of contention because you have rotated differently. There's a big dilemma. But here's my point. It's about Cruyff and his influence. Where are Barcelona right now in terms of their buying, in terms of the squad that they've got, in terms of their future buying? Artur is going to join. Yerimina was signed at Christmas and has played, I think, once, maybe twice. You, I think, look at the style of play, which is a 4-4-2, which, as I've written recently, would have been absolutely prohibited under 
Rijkaard, Guardiola, Tito Villanova, under the Cruyff principles, for geometric reasons, it has to be 4-3-3. For passing triangles created, for how you stretch the other team. Anybody who's watching Guardiola this season understands the debate. But let me just tell you about Barca with and without Johan Cruyff as a player, a coach, or as an influencer. Prior to him joining as a player in 1973, Barcelona hadn't been in a European Cup semi-final since 1961. Two years later, he took them to the semi-final as a player against Leeds. When he left, Barcelona went eight years without playing in the competition, let alone reaching a semi-final. When he came back in 1988, he took them to their first win in the, in the European Cup in 92, the final again in 94. When he became a guru, when Joan Laporta won the elections, when he became, Cruyff became their advisor, their teacher, he advised the appointment of Chiqui Pagirstein and then um, Frank Reichardt and then Pep Guardiola. They win the tournament in 2006, 2009, 2011. And while the ethos was a little bit different in 2015 when Luis Enrique wins the European Cup, his team was still chock full of players who understood and learned the Guardiola, hence the Cruyff way. So the overall stat is since 1961, that's 57 years ago, this behemoth of a club, this gigantic club, has reached just four European Cup semi-finals without a direct Johan Cruyff presence or influence. And two of those that they did reach were under Louis van Gaal playing, if not an identical idea of football, the same formation, and with footballers often who'd been trained at Ajax. Now, to me... That tells you a lot about the defeat in Rome. It comes as part of a context. It comes as part of a club which, since Tito Villanova uh, left in the summer of 2013, hasn't had a guiding Cruyff influence. Yes, Piquet and, and Busquets and Iniesta and Messi are still in the squad, but the club's ideas the football basse, the youth football, the coach appointments, the signings, and who's the director of football. There has been no proper Cruyff DNA in all that time. What that brings you is normalcy and a normality of ideas which are based on results, which are based on profile, which are based on marketing, fame, big big money purchases to, to gain fans around the world. It's been very close to an anti-Cruyff ideal. And Tuesday night's debacle didn't come simply for that reason. There are real jigsaw reasons that occur to make a 90 minutes as embarrassing as they were for that club. But the context for how Barcelona have got to that stage is that they still buy good players, the players still compete, and Valverde is a good coach. And indeed, a very good man-manager too. But without a belief, a philosophy from the Cruyff Bible, this will happen to Barcelona again and again, and they'll just become another club, not Mexican club. The last point on this has to be, and you'd all slaughter me if I didn't say this. I've written a little bit about it um, this week, but it was sore for any lover of football to watch Iniesta's face as he was going off. It was still 2-0 at that stage, Barcelona was still going through, but he knew. He knew in his heart that Roma were going to score. He knew in his heart that this was very likely to be his last Barcelona Champions League game. Like Pep, who lost 1-0 in his last ever European game for Barcelona at Anfield um, to Gary McAllister penalty. It, it was a sore and unfair and embarrassing way for a true great to leave the arena. 
at that stage, he wasn't automatically out, but I think it took 50 seconds for Roma to score and it to be confirmed to Iniesta that that was, that was it, unless he altered his decision. I think his decision, which he must give by the end of April, has been to go to China because he doesn't want to be in a squad where he's not regularly playing at Barcelona. He understands that he can go out this season having won the league, perhaps the Cup too. That is a proud way to leave the stage in general. I think it's also, it would be naive not to mention the fact, I'm guided that we're talking about a contract from a Chinese club of around 96 million euros. Let's not get into whether you or I or the, the bin man would say no to that deal because we'll never know until we're asked. So unless he changes his mind and says, I don't want that contract and I'm staying for one more stubborn year, like Xavi did in different circumstances, then we're not just saying goodbye to Andres Iniesta in Europe. We're saying goodbye to him pretty soon as a leader, a legend and a gifted, intelligent footballer for FC Barcelona. I think for almost everybody around Europe, that'll be a very sad moment. We'll cover it more if and when he makes that announcement. It could be at any time. And in all honesty, people like Coutinho and Artur, this Brazilian midfielder that, that, that they've signed already, who's, I think, 22. As a teacher, it would be very beneficial for those two young Brazilians to be saying to Iniesta, please stay, <laughs> please show us the ropes. But I'm not convinced that's what Barca's captain is thinking about at the moment. I think he's thinking, I'll take one trophy. If it's two, it's great. He saw Xavi leaving the Barcelona stage with a treble in happy circumstances. And I think that if he could... If he could factor that in, he probably would, probably will. So an interesting uh, week. A little bit sorry for Andres Iniesta, but as far as Roma were concerned, the far more deserving team went through into the semi-finals, and there are a heap of lessons for Football Club Barcelona, not for the squad, but for Football Club Barcelona, their board and their football direction to learn from the hammering they took in the same stadium where Guardiola's first year crowned them as treble winners. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. From the capital of Italy to the capital of Spain, where Madrid very nearly suffered the same fate as their great rivals, were it not for that man Ronaldo, a last-minute penalty and incredible scenes as Buffon was sent off for remonstrating with the referee. 
Real Madrid. That was exciting, wasn't it? I think it, what fascinates me about the debate surrounding the game before we even look at the, the performance of the Italian champions and the, the late penalty and, and Buffon's buffoonish behaviour afterwards, the way in which either social media or constant ability to watch things on the internet, blanket coverage of football on television and radio, the way in which that's changed people's perception seems to me often, too often, to be like misusing a telescope. Instead of using a telescope to look at something that's far away and make it very near, people seem to be able to take it, turn it around and make something that's near seem far away. So, for example, in assessing over the two ties, which team should have gone through, the absolute clarity of Real Madrid's quality of win in Italy compared to what happened in the Bernabeu before Ronaldo strikes that penalty 97 minutes in, I don't know what. That that disparity for me meant that the the better team over the 180 minutes, although the scoreline was then 3-3, had been Real Madrid. In that first game in Turin, the two sides played a battle which was far more uh, close to each side giving of its best. Madrid scored three times, one of which was that infamously brilliant gravity-defying goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. They hit the woodwork twice more. Dybala behaved ridiculously to get himself sent off. The, the margin of difference in that first leg compared to the, the margin of difference in the second leg and, and what caused the, the, the perfect storm for Madrid to be 3-0 down at home and, and very near, well, on the verge of going out was that in the second leg, Madrid uh, were very, very odd. As good as Juventus were, particularly as clinical as they were, Kael Navas had one of those nights where two of the goals he will look at and, and admit a degree of culpability. That's not been normal for him this season. Casemiro off at half-time, Modric not um, lasting the game and the, the draining away of intelligence and control when the Croat's not playing. He's one of those footballers, with no disrespect to Casemiro or Cruz, who vastly increases the smarts, the, um, the calmness, the vision, the technical ability that Roma did can boast when he's on the pitch. So with Kehler having a bad night, Benzema not starting, and, and listen, I've gone on and on about the way in which Benzema is the other half of Cristiano's orange. When the Frenchman is playing around him, Ronaldo is a far more dangerous, far more complete, a far better supplied footballer, in my view. No harm to Bale, who I'd like to see succeeding, uh, who very nearly scored an outrageous back heel against Juventus. Benzema being absent took something away from Cristiano Ronaldo. I've got no doubt about that whatsoever. And then there's Ramos. For warts and all, whatever you think about his, his temper, whatever you think about the limits he'll go to to win, his extraordinary red card record uh, domestically. Although I don't think he's ever been sent off in the Champions League or for Spain. Can that be right? I think it's right. Um, his absence is the absence of one of these players who, irrespective of him being a brilliant athlete, and that's something that he is an extraordinary athletic um, power, notwithstanding being a very, very uh, good footballer, which again he is, and and taking aside simply the the competitive aggression that oozes out of him. Each of you in your own team, whether now or in the golden era for the team you support, will have had a player, mine's Willie Miller, obviously, at Aberdeen, a player who, when he's on the pitch, almost everybody around him gives about 25% extra. 
and that's Ramos. So his absence on um, on Wednesday night in the Bernabeu was felt in a way beyond simply the goals that they conceded. So my contention is that, you know, well done Juventus. At that point to be 3-0 up, pretty extraordinary. It's good to catch a keeper when you're 3-0 down, the opposition keeper, on a rare bad night, and they did. But my opinion, at least, is that at that stage in the tie, Remedid are clearly have shown themselves to be the better side and ahead on points, if not on goals. And then when when the ball comes into the box, the first thing to say about when we start pointing the finger of blame, Juventus defend it really badly. I think it's Alexandro at fullback who plays Cristiano onside as he heads the ball back for Lucas. The ball shouldn't have been allowed to be delivered so easily. Alexandro should not have been allowing Ronaldo to get that back post header in. He he could have been caught offside if he'd, if the defender had stepped up. And at that point, Lucas, whether he converts or not, is in a perfect position to score. Perfect position to tuck away what what would have been the aggregate um, 4-3 winner. Benatia makes a tackle that the the FIFA laws do not allow. You're not allowed to make contact in a in a reckless or careless or violent. These are three different categories. Manner. Now, it's a long time since referees have been told if a player makes contact from another with another player from behind, the fact that he gets the ball is relevant. That's a long time in the past. So take away the fact that Benatia ultimately touches the ball. Look at the fact that both his thigh and his right arm go into Vasquez as Lucas is waiting to control the ball. He clatters him from behind. He makes a foul, which is textbook. And anybody who can't see, in the debate that's ensued since then, anybody who can't see that was a clear-cut penalty should go and watch, I don't know, lacrosse or tiddlywinks. At the point that we're talking about this, we also all have to accept that Michael Oliver didn't get what we got. Multiple replays, newspaper pictures... He sees it once. He's in a very good position. He sees Vasquez. He can't see the ball. He sees Vasquez about to control it and Benatia going through the back of, of the Spaniard. In his position, the balance of the the vast balance of probability is that it's a, a penalty. I'm certain that having given the penalty, he thought it was 100%. But in my view, if we're trying to look at his performance, look at his situation analytically, in his position where he's standing... I think everybody, all of us who are reasonable and don't wear black and white striped Juve shirts are going to give a penalty. The point at which Buffon then reacts childishly and, and not only remonstrates with the referee, but manhandles him, there's a red card. And it was stupid because Gigi Buffon against Ronaldo is a completely different idea than Cesney against Ronaldo for the subsequent penalty. So Buffon lets himself down at the point when he manhandles the referee. But the two things that I'm, I'm passionate about is that while the Juventus players are wasting time trying to put Ronaldo off, trampling with their studs on the penalty spot to make it get rough to see if they can dislodge enough ground to make sure that maybe Ronaldo will fluff the penalty. All of that, well, we've seen before, let's not go over the top, but it's very streetwise, very <coughs> sneaky. And when Ronaldo stays out of trouble, focuses his mind and takes the best penalty of his life and puts it top corner... I was absolutely thrilled. The right result, the right moment, exceptional from this guy who's now touching on doing what nobody's ever done before, which is scoring every single round of the Champions League. I remember the fuss in 1970 when Jorginho did that for Brazil in the World Cup. It still seems to me to be an extraordinary feat.
absolutely extraordinary. And it's a blink of an eye ago in my memory that Messi and Ronaldo were tied on the same amount of Champions League goals. And Ronaldo has surged away from Messi. And rather than compare him to the Argentinian, what I want to do is praise him. He's done things in his life and in his form and in his focus and persuaded his coach and persuaded his teammates around him that it's it's a a field of dreams. If you serve me, I will score. Now, does that make him a, a, a better or more complete footballer than he was? I tell you what it makes him. It makes him a more valuable employee, a more valuable teammate. And you see the limited players looking to him. They trust him. They know what he does. And you imagine that he was in your team and you were playing and you had somebody who could do that, you'd venerate him. You'd maybe even when you're asked by journalists come out and say that Ronaldo is great, <laughs> greater than Messi. They're the only pl- people from whom I'll, I'll listen to that kind of stuff because Messi is a greater footballer than Ronaldo. But when his teammates say, look what he's done, look what he keeps doing, I'll salute that flag and I'll listen to them with respect. So great goal. And I, I can't avoid being critical of did you perform? Because afterwards, when he says Oliver doesn't have the stature to be in a match like this because he didn't recognise, in his judgment of the penalty, Buffon's words say he didn't take into account what happened last week. Gigi Buffon. The referee doesn't suppose... This Italian mentality that there is a greater logic. There is a greater need for certain things to happen. The, the, the laws only count up to a certain extent. And after that, it's about some sort of higher logic, some sort of higher structure, an Opus Dei idea. He said that the referee wasn't worthy of his status in that game because he didn't recognise in making his decision that this was Real Madrid against Juventus, two greats with half an hour of extra time beckoning. And therefore, Oliver should have taken a decision based on the situation, the context The rules were properly applied and you can argue with the decision per se. You can be stubborn and say, I don't think it was a penalty. But to argue that the referee needs to make a better decision, a different decision in your favour, simply because of the the grandness of the moment rather than whether a a controversy of the FIFA laws took place or not, gave you a way, gave your logic a way as fraudulent and rotten. It stunk to high heaven. In due course... Things will settle down and a smidgen of sympathy for Buffon that he didn't pick up the Champions League trophy as a winner might settle into me. He's been a great. He's a guy who often shows, demonstrates a greatness of spirit. In the Bernabeu on Wednesday night, he stank the house out and it's my duty to say so. You can agree or disagree. Madrid are through. They're going to be playing Bayern Munich as Florentino Perez suggested they would. That is the classical of the European Cup. Over the years, it's not an exaggeration to say that the clubs and the players have hated each other. Not always, but often. It's a match which has brought outrageous events, actions, skill, drama, glory, goals. I'm absolutely thrilled that that's the tie. I feel that Liverpool can beat Roma. I'm not saying it's a certainty, but I'm pleased for Liverpool that they have the chance of going through to the final simply because I admire Klopp, I like him as a person, and look everybody, there's a Scotsman in a semi-final of the Champions League and he can make it to Kiev and the final. Go on, Andy Robertson. And that's all I have to say about that. 
Next up from us will be Troy Deeney and the fascinating big interview he recorded with Graham at Watford's training ground last month. There will be an extract from that interview on this feed, but if you want to listen to the full, unabridged episode, then it's time to become a socio. For £2.99, you get twice as many big interview podcasts plus a monthly documentary special. Everything we do is ad-free for our socios, so to sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. <laughs> 